calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello everyone, this is Mark Jeffrey. Uh, this week, I'm going to ask for your help. Uh, as I announced last week, uh, both the Pocket and the Pendant and the two travelers are now available in the iTunes uh, app store. Uh, if you have a copy of iTunes, uh, if you go to the front page, you'll see something new called App Store. Uh, if you click on that and then click on books, uh, you'll see a whole bunch of books. Uh, most of them are public domain books, things like the Oz books, uh, Charles Dickens, etc. Um, the Max Quick books are the very first commercial books, or among the very first commercial books, available. So it's actually very important and would really help me out a lot if you would go and, first of all, uh, just do a review of the book. I'm assuming everyone listening uh, hopefully is enjoying the books uh, and enjoyed the pocket and the pendant. If you could just take five minutes and uh, scribble down a review. If you have a copy of iTunes, you don't even have to have an iPhone. Um, just go in there and, and write a review. Really, really appreciated. Um, this helps uh, people see the book in the store and, of course, increases the visibility of it and helps me out a lot. Uh, of course, if you feel like buying a copy, that's also great. Uh, very appreciated also. But uh, most importantly right now is reviews. So anything I can do to uh, increase the visibility of the books um, really helps a lot. So. Uh, if you would please, iTunes in the App Store uh, under Books, go find the Max Quick One and Max Quick Two. You can search for it. Uh, pretty simple to find. Uh, anyway, that's it. Thanks for your help. Very much appreciated. Max Quick Book Two: The Two Travelers by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick Book 1, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Fourteen, New Stranger in Town. Early the next morning, it was Casey's turn to get water for the denizens of Logan's teepee. Groggily, she loaded up Ed the mule with water skins and led him to the east edge of the jip, where Cody told her the well would be. As she approached, she suddenly realized that something was familiar about this well. Familiar? Had she been here before? With Cody or Logan? She searched her memory. No, not that she recalled. Not at all and this was the first time she'd been on water duty for the camp. Shrugging, she went up to the well, unhooked the rope from its restraining peg, and used the crank to lower the bucket down into the blackness below. But as soon as she heard the plink 
of the bucket slapped the water below her. It hit her. This well looked an awful lot like the well in the books of Jonathan Roseblood's Serranus. That's weird, Casey thought. She tried to imagine it from a top-down view, the way the well in the book had been shown. The whirling tufts of grass around it looked the same. That had been one detail that had stayed with her all this time, the way the grass seemed to wave and ripple on the page. It had been eerie and lifelike, yet it was also a magnificently rendered illustration. The waving grasses had been one of those things that had seemed like an optical illusion, yet also real at the same time in a way she couldn't quite explain. Well, 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 she thought stupidly, snorting at her lame pun. All wells looked more or less the same. It could easily not be the same well at all. She turned the crank the other way and hoisted the bucket up from the deep black pool and began filling one of the water skins strapped to Ed the mule. But as she did so, her eyes lazily wandered back to the well, as if it were a magnet for her attention. This time, she noticed another discarded bucket, half buried in the dirt nearby. A single piece of frayed and rotting rope was still tied to it, dancing around mindlessly in the breeze. Her heart gave a start. The well in the book also had a discarded half-buried bucket, located in the same place. Was this the well from the book? The same well? But how could that be? She'd always wondered where exactly that well had been located from the very first moment she'd seen it in the book. At the time, they'd later been distracted with other things, namely Ian and the wolves. But over the years, her thoughts would sometimes drift back to that wishing well. It had a magical quality to it, as if it were in some far-off fairyland, some whimsical place that never was, somewhere that would be pleasant to visit, or so she had imagined. But had she, in fact, seen the well of Arturo Jip all those years ago in the books of Jonathan Roseblood Serranus? Casey had to know. She jumped up on the rim of the well and looked down. She swayed a little bit as she nearly lost her balance. Was it the same well? Carefully now, she walked along the rim until she found the orientation that seemed to match what she remembered seeing in the book. She gasped. It was an exact fit. There was no doubt. She was looking down at the very same well, or an exact duplicate. She jumped down and stepped away from the well in awe. She could hardly contain herself. A giddy excitement gripped her. She knew where the well was. But what did it mean? Then she inhaled sharply in surprise. A bright, shiny penny had mysteriously appeared in the air high above the well. It was turning and spinning and falling, seemingly in slow motion. It caught the bloody red sunlight and recast it as spangles of copper. Awestruck, she watched as the penny continued to drop into the well, bouncing off the internal cylinder made of small boulders set into the dirt. What the hell? Casey was so stunned she didn't move. She just continued to stare up at the spot in the air where the penny had first appeared. Where had it come from? Was there a portal over the well? An arch? She peered up into the air where the penny had appeared, trying to see. She squinted into the harsh sunlight and then put on her sunglasses. Nothing. Then, in a moment, she was startled when she heard a faint plunk of the penny far, far below. She tiptoed closer. But then... She nearly jumped out of her skin when a voice, sounding like it was no more than a few feet away, said this with an English accent. I wish we knew how to use this book. Ian? 
It had been Ian's voice, but higher-pitched, the way it had sounded when he was twelve, before his voice had deepened, during the pocket. Then there was a sound like someone was flipping the pages of a phone book in her ear, and then abruptly nothing. Oh my god! The penny! She had thrown a penny into the page showing the wishing well, and those words that had been exactly what Ian said right after she'd tossed it in. Ian! Casey shouted desperately into the air. Ian! But he was gone. The only sound now was the lonely desert wind. As she recalled, the book had flipped forward to another page all on its own after that. Ian had dropped the book with a start of fear, and they'd never looked at that particular page with the wishing well again. And she, Casey, had been standing in that very page, just out of frame this entire time. Casey jumped back up on the lip of the wishing well, so that she would be in the frame of the book should anyone happen to look again. "'Ian!' she shouted, but heard nothing, which is what she expected, truthfully. The tyranny of the page was absolute. History could not be altered. blah blah She reached out into the blank air in front of her. Nothing. If there was something there, it was too high up for her to reach anyway, at least judging by where the penny seemed to have come from. "'Ian!' she shouted one last time. But she stopped yelling when she spotted a thin, weathered old cowboy with a pack mule and water skins, standing nearby with a look on his face as if he wondered whether Casey had lost her marbles. "'Oh, hi,' Casey said uncomfortably. She stepped down from the lip of the well. (laughs) "'I'll just get my water. How's that?' The old man didn't move. The mule brayed and shook his head. Casey set about filling her water skins as fast as she could and then headed back to the teepee. And it was the exact same well that was in the book, Casey finished telling Sasha out of breath. Cody listened out of the corner of his ear as he prepared the mid-morning meal. But Logan sat and smoked his pipe, listening intently. And you really heard a little version of Ian, the 12-year-old? Sasha said, somewhat amused, boiling corn in the newly arrived water. God, that's funny. Casey hung her head. I'm so confused. What is this place? Is it a book? Is it even really the Old West? A time hole? An arch? What? And what do the Nuberians, Blackthorn and Wiley, if not others, have to do with it? Maybe that wrecked sky chamber is the key, Sasha mused. Maybe somehow the Nuberians created this place by accident when they crashed. How do you mean? Casey asked. Well, I've been thinking about it. Obviously, I've had lots of time on my hands. Anyway, we know that the ships manipulate space and time. That's how they get around. It's fundamental to how they work. So maybe the sky chamber went all haywire when it crashed. It accidentally ripped a hole in space-time and made this place. Or better yet, it crashed in the real Old West and took a stretch of desert that happened to include this town and popped it into another dimension somehow. Casey looked up at Sasha. You have been hanging out with Ian too much. You speak fluent geek now. Sasha shook her head wistfully. (laughs) Not enough lately. I miss my little punk rocker. But how did a well from Arturo Jip end up in the book of Jonathan Roseblood freaking Saranus? Is Arturo Jip somehow inside of that book? Or is that book somehow a portal here? I mean, what? Who was it that made the books again? Was it Anki? Sasha asked. Yeah, Anki. Mr. E. He made them, Casey answered. Ah, that's right. You and Ian both told me that like a thousand times. 
All right, let's say for a minute that we are in that particular book. That would mean a couple things. First, that Enki knows about Arturo Jip because he made it. At least the way I understand books. They're self-contained continuums, to use my fluent geek once again. And these places, these continuums inside of the books, were all made by Enki. You can enter the pages and you find yourself in like this bubble or baby universe. Pocket universe, Ian used to call them. But that always confused me because of the whole, you know, pocket thing. I never knew which was which. Sasha and Casey giggled. Anyway, Arturo Jip certainly seems like the kind of place that is in a baby universe. It's self-contained. It's small. It fits. Like the place Ian went with the wolves. That forest with the mountain and the tower and the observatory. Casey nodded. Yeah, it does seem like the same kind of whatever. Sasha nodded. And it would definitely fit with your seeing the wishing well. You saw Arturo Jip for the first time in that book you all found in the study. And just now, you witnessed the penny arriving, falling into the well, and you heard what Ian said right after your 12-year-old self threw the penny in. But it would also mean we're presently inside the book of Jonathan, your daddy, Saranus, Sasha said. And then more ominously, there are other things in that same book. The wolves. I don't know if there's any crossover between pages or baby universes that are in one book, but there might be for all we know. Casey nodded solemnly. I'll ask Cody later if they've ever had a problem with wolves here. But, Sasha said more brightly, on the other hand, there are things that don't fit with the we're-in-a-book theory. Which brings us back to right where we started. I mean, the crash sky chamber. What, did the Nuberians accidentally crash into a book? And what about all the people from the 1800s that are here? How did they get here? According to them, they just were wandering around, minding their own business, and whoomp, they were here. They didn't arrive through a book, either. And finally, there's the fact that we ourselves came here through an arch, not a book. Then Sasha crinkled her pug nose in annoyance. Unless arches sometimes go to books instead of to other times, and we don't know about that. Casey shrugged. Some books go to other books. We went from the Serpents and Mermaids town to Texas through a book. And some books go to baby universes inside their pages. Like what happened to Ian. We've already seen multiple purposes with Niberian artifacts, or Enkian artifacts to be more exact. Too bad the old coot wasn't still here. We could just ask Kim, Sasha grumped. As if summoned by their conversation, a thin apparition appeared in the desert. A lone figure, stumbling along half-blinded by the sandstorm that had kicked up. He was naked except for a tattered blanket that he struggled to keep wrapped around him in the sandy haze. His clothes had been torn from him long ago, and every moment since had been a bitter struggle to survive. He was chewed up from head to toe, not sunbit, though he was that also. Literally chewed up, with bite marks in his legs, his arms, his chest, and even a few on his face. But the bites had long since healed, and now he was smattered and rattled with a healthy collection of glistening lumpy white scar tissue and he was filled with hate. Hate for lots of things. He had a list, a short list, of people he was going to get back at. People who had done this to him. People who had betrayed him. But for the moment, he was making for that scraggly hill off in the distance. It looked like there was a stupid little town or something at the top. His first priority was to get out of this blazing sun in the sandstorm, get some water and food. But after that, it was back to the list. And something told him 
that he would find one or two of the people on that list in this dumpy little town in front of him. The figure from the desert huddled shivering in the 13 several hours later. He'd been discovered at the edge of town by the preacher, nearly collapsed from exhaustion and half-dead from sunstroke. Sand filled his eyes, his nose, his mouth. The preacher had done the preacherly thing and picked him up and hauled him into the Lucky 13 saloon to recover. So far, he'd drunk nearly a gallon of water and had eaten several steak burgers. Eldon kept putting food down in front of him, and he kept wordlessly gobbling it up. But curiously, Carson the monkey wouldn't go anywhere near him. He kept hopping down from Eldon's shoulder whenever he brought another serving over. Eldon figured the man smelled bad or something from the desert. He'd never seen Carson act quite like this before. Well, except with Blackthorn. Carson would run screeching under the bar whenever the sheriff would sidle on up. The preacher had gone and gotten the man some of his own clothes to wear. All he had were preacherly things, so the man was now dressed like a minister in an ill-fitting frock. It was almost comical. The man didn't look comfortable in these clothes at all. He fidgeted and itched inside of them. A deputy entered the 13 an hour later with the preacher. "'That him?' the deputy asked. The preacher nodded. "'You, the sheriff, lack a word,' the deputy said to the huddled figure. The man sat for a moment as if contemplating his options. He wasn't sure what this new development meant. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? "'Are you a good witch or a bad witch?' But in the end, he decided it was just a thing, and he had little choice in the matter anyway. With a wood screech, he pushed his chair away from the table and stood on his wobbly legs, tightened the belt on the loose-fitting preacher pants hanging on his skeletal form, and did his level best to push his aching joints into motion behind the two men as they headed for the dark Victorian at the end of the street. "'What's your name?' Blackthorn asked the newcomer. The man sat on the porch stair of the Victorian. Blackthorn's deputy sat nearby. They'd all been playing poker, including the newcomer, waiting for Blackthorn to arrive. One deputy studied the man intently, with a grass weed beneath his teeth, while the man in turn stared intently at his hand. But now the newcomer lifted his head. The scrawny, scarred man in the preacher clothes eyed the sheriff, Gauging him. Why should I tell you? Blackthorn's eyes narrowed. Because I am the sheriff. Because if you don't, I'll have you thrown right back into the desert where you came from. He inclined his head in the direction of the scorching red sands just beyond. The man shrugged. Then I'll just keep walking to the next town. The deputies laughed out loud at that one. The sheriff waved them silent. I'll save you the trouble, Blackthorn said. There is no next town. There's only here. Blackthorn almost smiled. Everywhere you go, there we are. The man looked suspiciously at him, but he'd seen stranger things already in his travels. He was prepared to believe almost anything at this point. He decided he'd play ball, at least for now. Name's Farrell. Farrell Winthorpe. Well, Farrell. How do you do, and how do you do, a deputy said. Where do you come from, Mr. Winthorpe? Blackthorn asked pointedly. Winthorpe sighed. Lately? You wouldn't believe all the places I've been, the strange things I've seen. 
A lot of it's a blur. Blackthorn nodded. Try me. Well, I can tell you what I remember. I was in the woods, on a mountainside. It was getting dark. There was a full moon. That's where I got all these. Winthorpe rolled up his sleeve to reveal a particularly nasty scar. Got all bit up. Golly! One of the deputies breathed, genuinely shocked. By what? Giant Skeeters! Another deputy said to peals of laughter. Winthorpe looked him square in the eye. Wolves, he said. I was in a forest. They attacked me on a mountaintop. Chewed me up good and left me for dead. But I wasn't. That was five years ago. How'd you survive? Blackthorne asked. I don't really know, Winthorpe said. I'd lost a lot of blood. I was delirious. I got lucky, I think. That's some tattoo you have there, one of the deputies said with a knowing smile. He nodded towards Winthorpe's right hand. Winthorpe turned his wrist and looked at it. He hardly did anymore, although at first he couldn't stop thinking about it and looking at it. It was the sunbolt, the sign of Nuberian slavehood. A black sun wreathed with thunderbolts. Yeah, crazy, huh? I forgot I even had it, Winthorpe said. Blackthorn fixed his gaze with a new intensity. Not many forget a tattoo like that, I'd imagine. I was distracted by other things, Winthorpe shot back. What did this Wild West guy care about his tattoo? Been a while since I even thought about it. You know, Blackthorn said almost casually, walking away from Winthorpe, I've seen another tattoo, just like that one, lately, right here in the jip. Winthorpe jumped to his feet. You have? he breathed. Blackthorn nodded. Yes, on a girl. Brunette, pretty, a looker, I'd say. Winthorpe could hardly believe his luck. Could it be? Was it even possible? Was she with anyone and traveling with her? Maybe that English rat was with her as well. Yes, Blackthorn nodded. Another girl. Winthorpe's face fell. Not who he was expecting. Blonde. Also quite a looker. Blonde? Well, not who he was hoping for. But if she was who he thought she was, well, she was on the list too, albeit much further down. Nevertheless, a pretty brunette with a sunbolt traveling with a blonde. He was ecstatic. It had to be her. I can see you're interested in these two. Winthorpe knew he couldn't hide it. I have an old debt to repay them. Blackthorne nodded appreciatively. I had a feeling. But you'll have to work with us. Your payback will have to wait. I can't let you go ruining our agenda. When the time is right, we'll support you in whatever you have to do. Agreed? Well, that didn't sound too good to Winthorpe at all. He wanted to take care of this right now. He'd waited so long. What if I refuse? Blackthorn shrugged. Well, we shoot you, of course. And if we can't be sure of you, we kill you just to make sure of you. Winthorpe nodded, pretty much what he figured. But you won't have to wait long, Blackthorn promised. You'll have to work for me in the meantime. I'll have to keep an eye on you. Make sure you're not mucking with what we're up to by doing something stupid. 
So I'll ask you again. Agreed? Winthorpe looked up at him. He didn't really have much of a choice, it seemed. Agreed, Winthorpe said, shaking Blackthorne's hand with his right, the hand with the sunbolt tattoo. Welcome aboard, Mr. Winthorpe, Blackthorne said. The deputy shook his hand as well. One more thing, Winthorpe said, fanning his card hand out once again. What's that, Blackthorne said. I don't use the name Farrell Winthorpe no more. That was just what my mother called me. It's my legal name, all right. I wasn't lying about that. But I go by my nickname these days. I have ever since middle school. Winthorpe pinched the middle card with his hand, tossed it on the ground at Blackthorne's feet. It landed face up. The ace of spades. Blackthorne regarded it with a raised eyebrow. Call me Ace. Eldon says we have a new stranger in town, Cody said upon arriving back at the teepee. Congratulations, you two. You're no longer the newbies in Arturo Jip. Casey and Sasha looked up. Hooray, Casey replied sardonically. What's his story? Eldon didn't know. He said he looked pretty beat up, though, and not just from the desert. Said he looked like he'd been attacked by robbers or such. Say anything else? Sasha asked. Nope, except Carson didn't take to him. May or may not mean anything, depending on whether or not you put your stock in the evaluation of a monkey. Where is he now? Casey asked. Cody snorted. <laughs> Blackthorns. Wanted to see him right away. He used to let new rivals slide for a bit, but I guess you spooked him in good, Casey. Keeping a closer eye on anyone new who shows up now. That afternoon... Sasha and Casey found themselves talking about the strangest of subjects, their college plans, and Arturo Jip, nothing could have seemed more fanciful, more unreal. Sasha had been lamenting the fact that her father, Diderot, had wanted to go to MIT and become a management consultant like himself. But I hate those people. Dad has them over all the time. They're drunk pretty much around the clock. They're miserable. Seriously, Sasha, that can't be right. How can they do their jobs drunk? Casey asked. I have no idea, but I promise you, they are always drinking. There's this one bar in Chicago where they train. They have this thing called the Century Club. When you drink 100 different kinds of beers, they put a plaque up on the wall with your name on it, so everyone knows you're in the Century Club. And here's the kicker. Over 90% of the names on the wall are management consultants with Dad's firm. Wow, those are some serious luscious. And the divorce rate is near 100%. This is not a recipe for happiness. Hell, it almost reminds me of Jada's slave camps. So don't go, Casey said. Just don't do it. Ha! If only it were that simple. Old Diderot's in my face about it 24-7. Casey looked around with mock intensity. Well, I don't see him anywhere in the jip. Sasha snorted. Yeah, I'm almost surprised. But if he were here, he'd be hanging out with all the other management consultants of the 13. Casey burst out laughing. Sasha! Logan called from outside the teepee. Sasha got up from the bearskin pile and went outside. Logan handed her a list. We need a few things from the store. Beef jerky, a few herbs. You feel up to going and getting them? Sasha nodded. Sure. I'm actually glad you asked. I was wondering when I'd be able to do my part around here. Logan handed her some money. Stay away from Blackthorn if you can. And wear your guns. Sasha nodded slowly. I will. Within moments, 
Sasha had routed the Whitby and was out on the main thoroughfare of the Jip. The general store was a bit past the 13, down the street nearer to Blackthorn's Victorian. Sasha glanced up nervously at it to the masses of cowboys, hostlers, and ladies shuffling along the street. The Victorian loomed ahead like a big haunted house. And according to Casey, there were genuine Niberian artifacts inside of it, follows from a crashed sky chamber, a namshub. And even though it was true that Blackthorn had been largely ignoring the four of them ever since he had tried to choke Casey and take her bracelet from her, Sasha was still on her toes. Something about that encounter had apparently spooked the sheriff. But Sasha didn't think that was a permanent state of affairs by any means. It had already been almost two months since that event. Blackthorn would likely try something again. She had to be ready. So she was alert as she walked down the street, going over everything Logan had taught her in her mind. Nevertheless, she wasn't ready for the apparition that appeared in the middle of the road. She stopped in her tracks. Hello, baby, Ace whispered. Sasha felt like insects were twittering and prickling on her skin. There was no doubt about it. It was Ace, all right. Somehow back from the dead. He was a little older, taller. His face was leaner, and he was badly scarred all over. He stood in the road just ahead of her. She hadn't seen him come from anywhere. It was like he just appeared. He was wearing a black cassock, tied off at the waist like a priest. It was too big for him. The cassock ballooned around his scrawny form, billowing and snapping in the hot red wind of the Egyptian desert. A single gun hung from his hip, Sasha noted. Nothing to say to me, Ace said calmly. After all this time, sweetie. No, I'm glad you're all right. No, I was worried about you. Hello, Ace, Sasha said carefully, her voice dredging to life. Where the hell had he come from? Her brain raced for answers. Arturo Jip must be inside of that same damnable book after all. He must have somehow crossed over. Already her fingers itched for the guns at her sides. She was ready if he drew. Ah, so you do remember me. I'm touched. Don't be, Sasha said coldly. A lot has changed since the time of the pocket. Ace's eyes flashed with confusion and then murder. Ah, yes, the pocket. That's what your new friends called the time we were in the Serpents and Mermaids. He paused and looked her up and down appreciatively. You've changed, Sasha. You've grown up a bit, I'd say. You too, Sasha replied, wincing as she looked directly at the massive chew scars along his face and hands. It was a miracle he'd survived. That much was clear. Yes, I'm quite a sight, aren't I? Ace said with a forced smile, noting her eyes dancing over his body. The scars. Got them all over the place. My whole body. He flicked an eye up at her. Wolves, you know. Ian tried to tell you, don't, Ace said, almost quivering with rage. Don't you even mention that little traitor's name to me. Sasha switched the topic. What are you doing here, Ace? How did you get to our churro jip? Ace suddenly stepped towards her with a hand out like he was going to caress her face. Sasha stepped back and drew her gun with a speed that shocked Ace visibly. He hadn't expected this. He eyed the weapon and respectfully stepped back again. Hey, no need for that, babe, Ace said carefully. You come towards me suddenly like that again and there will be, I promise, Sasha hissed. She spun the gun and replaced it in her holster. Ace shrugged it off. 
You know, I was pretty angry with you. When you betrayed me, you left me. When you abandoned me. I still can't believe you did that. You literally threw me to the wolves. After all we'd been through together. I mean, we even have the same tattoos. Ace raised his hand to show her the sunbolt and nodded towards her own. I wanted to kill you, Ace continued, eyes dancing with fury now. Oh yes, I admit it, I did. I thought if I ever saw you again, I'd kill you. But you know what? Now that I actually do see you in the flesh, all I can think about is how much I miss you. How much fun we had in the Serps. Ace's face was one of pure sorrow, utter nostalgia. And I'm even willing to forgive you. For everything. For throwing me to a pack of wolves. I mean, what other guy do you know would do that? Who has a heart that big? Just come back to me, baby. Let's be together again. Ace smiled and held out his arms. He seemed to really expect that this would work. Sasha was dumbfounded. She opened her mouth and sighed, shaking her head. She had no idea where to even begin. Ace, Sasha kicked at the dirt nervously. Ace, I, I can't be with you again. When we were in the Serps, I was scared. I, I was a different person. I like feeling safe. I, I thought you'd protect me. And you did, but I... I did protect you, Ace repeated. Yeah, but listen, Ace. That was a strange time for me. For all of us. I mean, it was crazy. We were just kids, and suddenly there were no adults around. Of course things were going to get nuts. We... What? Ace said with an injured voice. Are you saying that what we had wasn't real? A strange time for me? What is that psychobabble crap? Were you just using me for protection? No, Ace. I... That's cold. I have to admit, I thought throwing me to the wolves was cold, but this is actually colder. I did not throw you to the wolves, Sasha finally snapped. You did that to yourself. Ian tried to stop you. Not hard enough, Ace exploded, eyes livid with rage. Do you have any idea what it's like to have wild animals chewing on you? Do you? Can you imagine the pain? I'll tell you, you can't. Not unless it's happening to you. And Sasha. Oh, Sasha. You'd better hope something like that never happens to you. Ace seemed to be implying a threat. Sasha eyed him with a fresh furnace of hatred. Goodbye, Ace, she said pointedly, and began walking past him. Ace sighed and chased her. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I've been through a lot lately. I mean, first the wolves, then the desert. I'm not myself. This conversation is over, Sasha said, marching coldly towards the general store. I'm being very, very understanding here, babe, Ace growled. I just want to work things out between us. Nothing to work out, feral, Sasha said, using his given name. She knew he hated it. Hey, now that was mean. Yes, yes it was. Now, buzz off, Sasha replied icily, shooing him away. Ace stopped and watched her back thoughtfully as she headed towards the general store. Pow, he thought, shooting her with his finger. He could just shoot her in the back right now if he wanted to. She deserved it, if only that damnable Blackthorn hadn't ordered him to leave her alone. Well, that was just for now, anyway. Revenge was coming. And oh, how sweet it would be.
You're never going to believe who I just ran into, Sasha said to Casey upon her return to the teepee. Who? Blackthorn? Worse. Ace. Casey's eyes went wide and she sat bolt upright. You're kidding me. Would I kid about that? Casey was dumbfounded. But how? He's not dead. Where did he come from? I don't know and no and I don't know. But all he wanted to talk about was getting back together. Casey blinked. What did you tell him? I said I'd think about it. Casey's jaw dropped. Now I'm kidding, Sasha said with a smile. That's the new stranger in town? Cody asked. This ace fella? Casey nodded. Must be. We know him. He's bad news. Sasha's ex. Cody looked taken aback. You was married? Casey and Sasha both laughed. No, they just they used to go out a long time ago. He's pretty pissed off, Sasha said, unpacking the beef jerky and handing it to Logan. He survived the wolves somehow, but he's pretty badly bit up. He's got scars that look like monster makeup. Wow, Casey said. Well, it's his own fault. We told him not to. I know, I know. He didn't want to hear it. Same old ace. Where's he staying? Casey asked. Eldon said he's up at the Victorian, Cody interjected. Blackthorn's putting him up. Oh, doesn't that just figure, Casey said. Two peas in a pod. Yeah, it's a regular jerk pajama party up the road, Sasha quipped. Well, he's probably been yapping the Blackthorn about us by now, Casey mused. Did I seem surprised to see you? Nope, not at all, Sasha replied. He knew I was here already. Don't know if he knows about you, but my bet is he probably does. Why would he do that, Sasha asked. He doesn't know we know each other. Tattoos. He'd noticed a sunbolt on Ace's hand also. Sheriff doesn't miss much. Well then, what does this mean for us? That Blackthorn's going to start harassing us again? Casey nodded. Probably. He didn't know what to make of us before. But now, he has a source of information. Later, Casey left the teepee in a rush. She'd discovered that they were out of cornbread, and decided she wanted to do something nice for Logan, cook him one of his favorite meals, as thanks for everything he'd taught them. So she hadn't told anyone where she was going. It was just a quick trip up the street to the general store and back again. Five minutes. But as she rounded the alley on the way, she found herself face to face with Blackthorn. With what was now a reflex, she reached for her gun. But she'd left in a hurry. She hadn't bothered to put her guns on. Oops. You. Blackthorn hissed and slurred. A bony finger pointed at her like an accusation. He began stumbling over to her. She smelled the powerful whiskey odor coming from him. With a start, Casey realized that Blackthorn was very drunk. Drunk? She'd never seen the sheriff even drink before. Uh-oh. Casey was terrified. What the hell did Blackthorn want? He was leering at her in a way she'd never seen before. A new thought occurred to her then. Could it possibly be that Blackthorn was interested in her? The thought made her insides twist. He was either going to kiss her or kill her. She wasn't sure which would be worse. You, he breathed, the stink of whiskey on his breath. I have to know. Kiss or kill. Kiss or kill. Casey backed away, but Blackthorn was on her. He tottered for a moment, then grabbed Casey by the shoulders with his preternatural speed. He pulled her face into his, and Casey thought... Oh, so he does want a kiss. 
But to her surprise, Blackthorn didn't plant one on her. He simply held her face less than an inch away from his own. Casey thought she was going to throw up from the stink of booze on him. Surely no human being could be this saturated with alcohol and remain standing. Blackthorn drove his steady gaze into hers relentlessly. He was peering into her eyes, as if trying to see out of them himself, or drive his mind into the back of her head. And then Casey became dizzy, disoriented. God, his breath is going to make me pass out, she thought. Then everything went blurry and hazy and then black as midnight. Her focus swam in a void for a moment, and then she found herself blinking. Her eyes were watery and her body felt weirdly numb and heavy. She was laying down on her back somewhere. Was she on the ground in the alley? She didn't think so. It just didn't feel the same. She felt her arms haul her weight up like they were moving on their own, and then she was weakly propped up on her elbows. She blinked furiously, trying to clear her sight. It was like she was moving, but not of her own volition, more like her body was moving itself. Her head turned, and she was surprised to see Sasha on the ground beside her, passed out. Sasha was wearing the same clothes they'd had on when they first arrived in the jip. In fact, she noticed with mild surprise, so was she. And then her arms suddenly gave out. Weakness overtook her, and she was on her back again. When she felt her head hit the ground, it was like she kept going, and possibly falling into the floor beneath her. Then her attention snapped back into clarity almost at once. She was in the alley again, teetering on her feet. Blackthorn was running away from her as if she terrified him, down the alley in the opposite direction. What in the hell had that been about? You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book 1, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book 2, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>